Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Team Building Podcast, where we learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Uh, I have got an awesome guest with me today, Michael Carr of Carr and Associates, and uh, we're going to talk. We got a bunch of stuff to get into. Unfortunately, Jeff Cohn is not with us because he's still gallivanting all around South Africa, like diving with sharks and putting his life in danger uh, and hanging out with his family. So he's getting some good family time in. Uh, so I wanted to bring Michael on. We had Michael on Real Estate Uncensored here a while back. With uh, with his business partner on the digital agency side to talk about branding, but my I mean, has a, such an interesting background and a ton of experience both building uh, brokerages, leading multiple offices, leading a lot of agents, turning that into a brand that actually means something to the consumer while giving the agents the freedom to be who they are. So we've got a bunch of stuff to get into. Michael is also uh, one of the largest or the largest auctioneers, at, you know, in in I don't know the history of all time, something like that. So we'll we'll get more detail on that. I want to talk a little bit about auctions. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, first of all, Michael, welcome officially. Thank you so much, Matt. Glad uh-huh. to be here. So, so let me ask you about the auction. What's, what's the claim to fame with, with on the auction side, real quick? Uh, I'm America's top selling real estate auctioneer. That is okay. um, that is a self imposed designation uh, with <laughs> all the truth to it uh, possible. Um, I got lucky enough and was experienced enough uh, during the late uh, mortgage debacle. And teamed up with a, a company out of Irvine, California, and we got the Bear Stearns residential portfolio under contract to auction off. We thought it would be about uh, sixty to eighty thousand residential units and three years worth of work. It turned out to be a hundred and eighty thousand residential units and eight years of work. Oh, and good. so, as an auctioneer and a broker, I traveled thirty-three states and uh, was licensed uh, as a broker in twenty-seven, as an auctioneer in thirty-three. And we just went around for eight years, about four days a week, five, at one time, seven days a week, holding ballroom sales, auctioning off property like they were cares. Yeah. So in time, it all added up. Yeah, I'll bet. Good Lord. And I want to get back. We'll come back to the auction because I want to have a little conversation about that. Um, but give everybody kind of an idea of what your broker's company looks like right now, where your offices are, how many agents, all the good stuff like that. Yeah, uh, so I'm Michael Carr and Associates. I'm the founder and CEO of Michael Carr and Associates. Our tagline is anything real estate. Uh, we do that because we have touched several different genres, multiple genres of the real estate business. Uh, I was traveling around, as, as I just alluded to, uh, had an office in Irvine, California, had an office in Seattle, Washington, had an office in Atlanta. But Atlanta has always been home. I was born and raised in the suburbs there in Gwinnett County, about 40 minutes north of downtown. And... Um, it was the number one selling or number one fastest growing county for 10 years in the 90s, that sort of thing. So we, we went through all of that growth. Our brokerage is just a little bit outside of that now in the Jackson County area is our home office, Jefferson, Georgia. But we work the entire crescent of Atlanta, especially. We have an office in Snailville, Georgia, which is still in Gwinnett County. We have an office in Jefferson. And then we're looking for two offices now, one in the Dawsonville, Jasper area, which goes around to that west side, northwest side of the crescent of Atlanta, 
And then I happen to be in North Carolina right now, scouting out some locations in the Charlotte, Gastonia area. So awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, so lots of stuff, by the way, what's your, what's your agent count between those? Uh, and like, is it three active offices right now? It's only two active offices two. right gotcha. now. And our agent and count is only more. 14 right now. And, and we can okay. get into that. I know we're going to talk about team building mm-hmm. and like mentality of people. So one thing that uh, I'll just prelude a little bit, uh, we're, we're very picky. Uh, I'm a mm. picky broker about, we don't, it's not really numbers for me. Yeah. Uh, you can bring on hundreds and hundreds of people if you wanted to, but then when you start playing out ratios of productivity, uh, I just don't think that's a good sustainable model uh, for yeah. where we want to go. So, yeah. So you're, so you're more, I would say you're more, uh, this is where I, I see the industry go, provided there's nothing else that, you know, comes in and blows the whole thing up like Amazon or Zillow or whatever. But this is where there's a couple things that I see the industry doing. Number one is what you're exactly what you're doing, which is brokers moving to more of a team model and teams moving to a broker model to, and meeting somewhere in the middle. And I think the most, the people that'll be the most successful over the next five years are the people that do a hybrid uh, where either they're a broker and they run a team, like a highly producing team, and then a few, you know, satellites of successful agents. We just had, uh, we've had Kyle Whistle on the show before. That's what he runs. He's the number one team in San Diego. And nice. so that, that's his model. And then the other ones I see is obviously the virtual um, and where you can, where you, you know, release your physical offices. And, and so I obviously see that going, growing as well. Um, so on the, with the 14 people that you have, are, you mentioned that you like, you know, you have like different areas of, of real estate that you cover. So do you have specific people within the brokerage that specialize in their thing? So you have specialists doing what they're good at, but then as a brokerage, you're able to offer kind of a full suite of stuff? We do, but for the most part, our agents are full service agents. So because of the shift that I've seen in, um, in arm's length transactions, all of us have been in the, in the business for longer than 15 years. We saw that arm's length transactions, and then we saw where we didn't have that anymore. You know, there's a lot of REO sales and and things like that that we went through and, uh, and the decimation of valuations of properties and appraisals and all that that we had to live through and fight our way through. And then we saw that curve begin to change again. And so I obviously started setting up an arm's length transaction brokerage after that. And inside of building that, I don't really limit or even spe- uh, specify a certain job or genre. Now, in the auction business, I've got a couple of agents in the auction business, and that is specific, sort of. Uh, they can do arm's length, buyer's agency, seller's agency, or disclosed dual agency, uh, but they normally don't. The, all the other agents, they'll do any of any of the above. Uh, gotcha. Commercial, light commercial, residential, buyer's side, seller's side, and like I said, limited dual so okay uh so let's talk a little, a little bit about the the branding because this is something that you're doing more more of now and you're actually helping other people with it um and so tell me a little bit about it like how you really zeroed in on like what you guys stand for in the market why you chose to stand for that and how you you know because obviously you've got agents that are they're full service so you don't necessarily they're not running your lead they're not running a bunch of um you know official michael car systems where you really have control of everything that they're doing, right? They're, they're able to do, you know, multiple parts of the business and they're kind of able to build their business the way that they want to, which creates a massive problem at the brokerage level, right? Because then you're trying to figure out, well, how do I, if I don't have control of the agents, how do I dictate what they stand for in the market and how they're perceived by the consumers? So how did you kind of bridge that gap? Well, it's part of the reason why we're looking at only 14 agents. And, mm-hmm. and in the course of the next six months, we probably won't put on another six. 
because um, th that culture of that corporate mentality is very important to me. Because I am a, a branding and marketing um, ex expert, and, I, and we have the brand Facebook. Um, as you had us on that other uh, Real Estate Uncensored. We talked about our branding. I, I see the importance of the um, facial recognition of all of us, like for agents as well as for uh, for the brokerage itself. And so it started with me, with the branding being me and that message that comes out. So we want like one of our taglines was it's not about the people or profit. It's about the people. It's mm -hmm. not a job. It's a passion. And so we uh, we created this content that, that and poured over this content that came from my heart about what I wanted this to look like. And yeah. then in doing that, uh, you know, the law of attraction is a very important thing in business as well as personal lives and things like that. We begin to, to track or, as a magnet those people that had those same qualities. Uh, we, you know, we, we all are taught ethics and that sort of thing. But we also know if we've been in a business, not everybody is ethical, even if they claim to be ethical and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And so we interview pretty deeply about that for those agents. And I get the opportunity to, to front them at the beginning and say, look, my face is on the billboards, my face is on the website, my face is on the, the content, my face is on a lot of the content that you'll be sharing with other clients. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, of course, bottom line is they're my clients. Uh, even if you're working with them and you're working underneath me, we have a teamwork and team building mentality. So we believe that rising tides rise all ships. And so we don't want people that are competitive against each other. We want people that would are are that put the company first, and so in time and through building teams and, and teams being decimated, falling apart, crumbling. If you've ever tried to build a team, you know what I'm talking about. You can have four or five people moving and gelling together. You have somebody else comes in, destroys it all. I can't tell you how many times I've been through that. I don't have to deal with that now because in time we attracted the people that have that same corporate mentality and they and they believe the same as I do that if we put the company first then the company can take care of everybody including you and then if you're doing to others inside the business uh, then then you, and treat them the same way you're doing your clients treating them the way you want to be treated then that culture begins to spin and it also begins to attract other people that believe the same thing and then your core group begins to have a say so as to whether or not they think this particular personality is going to work. And so if you have a bad apple come in now, you've got a hedge of protection, if you will, around that corporate mentality. And so I have agents that that will pull people aside and say, no, no, that's not how we do it here. We, we do it like this. And it begin, yeah, that synergy awesome. begins to 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 grow corporately if that makes sense no it makes total sense uh yeah because i you i was talking to somebody about this the other day in regard like online communities in this case as was the context but we're talking about how within tribes there naturally arises kind of the enforcers which is exactly what you want you want people that believe in the culture so strongly that when other people get out of line you don't have to be the one that puts the hammer down other people step right. up and they put the hammer down which is actually way more effective than you as the leader doing it and so Absolutely. I think one of the challenges for us as leaders is raising up other people within our organizations that are so converted, I guess, to our belief system that we can actually pull back a little bit. We lead them, of course, but then they start to lead the other people uh, and they start Absolutely. to enforce our beliefs.
which is which is an awesome position to be in. It's not easy to get there, like you mentioned, but once you get there, man, it's it's awesome because that's that's when you get that kind of virtuous cycle. That's right, and you have to have that buy-in. You can't be everywhere at once. And yeah. and of course, you know, in the branding, I think branding is very important, and that's why um, I was I was fortunate enough to be a part a partner in uh, Brandface for mm-hmm. real estate professionals and. And we built that culture right off the bat. You know, I put my face out there first because the, that belief is that people do business with a person. They don't do business with a logo. And so when we did that and then we start attracting other people, like the teams that I put together before that fell apart, we didn't have that branding element as a part of it. But once my brand was out there, it's easier when you bring somebody on to say, okay, you know, you're representing me when you go out there because my face is on this. Like, like people are going to see this. So you, yeah. you have to believe in my, in, like, like the culture of what I'm trying to believe to, to push because you're going to go in juxtaposition to that. And then obviously you're not going to last. And I find that people take that more, more, they take it uh, more seriously when they oh, already yeah. see that you've put it out there and your face is attached to it. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree with that. People do take it way more seriously than representing the you know corporate values of a logo that they don't really care about. I guess the the what I'm curious about is if you put if you're a brokerage and you have agents that are servicing the clients on their own, and you're you're the face of it. You obviously you stand for something in the market. You have a face that goes along with that, and people resonate with that, and you start to attract your tribe. All that makes sense. Now, at the point where you send out somebody who isn't you to the client uh obviously you're you're hiring people that are congruent with your values they're aligned with you but what's the expectation on the client's end when they see your face on the billboards like how do you make that essentially it's almost like it's a mental and emotional handoff like they're emotionally resonating with you they're seeing your face on the billboards they're seeing your your face on the website and all that stuff they want to work with you or they or at least they want to work with what you stand for what is the process then for great I'm going to have John come, come out and meet with you. You know what I'm saying? So that, I think that's where a lot of people that have built their brand around their face, they've struggled. Because I know people that have expanded, uh, you know, both like citywide and nationally, and then had to pull back from their face forward branding to get to break out of that. Right. They had to put they had to do more logo based uh, marketing and take and kind of pull their face down off of things because they were getting massive pushback from clients that know, like, I, you know, like, let's go. Like, I wanted to work with the person that's on the billboard. So how do you avoid that? Well, a couple of different ways we, we shore that up. And, and thank goodness we have uh, technology nowadays that can really help us. So through like so through video and things like that, I can set forth a, a, a culture with that, that client. And the videos that I put out that they can click on through our YouTube channel, some of them come up in our website. Um, some of them I send, like uh, my staff will send uh, uh, videos out to people introducing myself. When I know that if I pass a lead off to, say, one of my lead agents, if I pass that lead off, then my staff automatically sends a video from me telling that person that's exactly what I'm doing and why. Because I found that people do call into the office to do business, but we haven't got a massive pushback on on me, like, because, oh, I want want to do Mike. Now, if they they say that I want to do business with Michael, I'm going to try to make myself available for that to happen. I'm still going to take that agent along with me. It's one of the things that really works and flows well because we only have 14 agents. Now, finding that inside my schedule can be hard to do sometimes, but many times I can overcome that on the phone. 
and I'm willing oh, yeah. to do that. So yeah. although we set forward a, a, a forward presence, we also set sort of boundaries and have technology sort of buffer a little bit of that. And then I make myself available at least by phone to talk to somebody if they're wanting to do business. But then the greater thing that we do that I think is a gap in the market right now for the big team builders is I co-brand with my agents. So like the agents, okay. uh, if we have eBooks that are available through our website for people to download, we can brand those eBooks with that agent. And so okay. people begin to get a feel of that agent. And Mike's just sort of the, Mike was the overview yeah, you know what I mean? And I think that we've began, Tanya uh, Eberhardt is really great at the messaging, and we've begun to build that to where that expectation is that I'm just the overseer, but you're going to be dealing with Rock or you're going to be dealing with Terrell. And then also inside of our our farming, and when we're doing farming, our agents pick areas that they want to farm like neighborhoods it might be two three four ten it doesn't matter to me how many they want to do as long as it's physically possible for them to become known in those neighborhoods then we do things like send out card campaigns and things like that on their behalf so when people like open a send out card they're going to see terrell's face or they're going to see sydney's face or they're going to see alberta or kelly's face there and then on the back they'll see my face and so it's mm. it's it, on the billboard. It may be face forward on the website. It's a little face forward because uh, I'm up in the top corner. But when they click on the video, it's me talking about my agents taking care of them. And so in the messaging, we have the overview of Michael Carn Associates and me being the face of that brand. But in the workings on the street and on Main Street and whatever town we're in, I'm promoting those agents. And, and I've always been amazed because we work with so many agents across the nation, um, especially through Brandface, at the brokers that don't look at it that way. They, like, like the times we have branded people through our branding company only to have them, uh, them join a team and the team say, oh, you can't be branded anymore. You have to come underneath our nomenclature, if you will. I, I find that to be sort of short-sighted, honestly, because uh, you really want to promote that person that's going to be dealing with that customer you know, face to face. And if you want to grow yourself bigger than you, you don't, you, you need to be able to step back from that and push your people forward and let them get on. And you shouldn't be, that sh there shouldn't be a competitive nature between the broker and the agent, in my opinion. I'm not a competing broker. I don't really take on listings unless it's a close friend. And even when yeah, it is. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because you yeah. obviously had a you know, massive, probably personal network, especially growing up there. Um, so you could, you absolutely could be a competing broker. So how do you handle mm -hmm. that when you have people like, are there certain lead agents that have the authority to like follow up with your personal database? Do you make an effort to like stay in touch with your database, like through your agents? Or do you stay in touch? And then when an opportunity presents itself, you can't like bring the agent with you. What we do is I allow the agents, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sink or swim type of a manager. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. that we've all got, we have different types of personalities. I'm not, nor have I ever been uh, a guy that, although some people would say it, I do have the traits. I'm not a control freak just to use that, that, you know, phrase. I, I don't have to control every ounce. I have, I want you to know in confidence that you have the same care for people and ethics that I have. And so I yep. know that from interviews and then being a part of them. And then I test them. 
So like if I give a lead to somebody and I, I will follow up with that agent, did you talk to that person? And if they miss windows of time frames without a good excuse of why they haven't got in touch with that person, they go to the bottom of the list for getting the next lead. <laughs> you yeah, know what no I mean? <laughs> so it's not that I won't give them another lead, but I'm going to go to this guy that's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yep. I'm on it. And then we also have training. Like every week, every every Monday morning at 9 a.m., we have training. We video that training. And we were constantly talking about our expectations of how you treat the customer. Yeah. And then specifically to your answer I take my personal database as well as the, as the, and try to grow it constantly, like we all yeah. do. Constantly reaching out, friends on social medias, you know, making the posts, showing them a little bit of my life, showing them mm-hmm. the culture of the company, trying to get them to come to, to talk to, to us in any way, shape, or form while my agents are out there doing the same thing. Yeah. So when I have somebody from my personal sphere of influence that calls up, even my mother, in fact, that would say, hey, it's time to sell and time to buy something else, I pull that agent in and I say, okay, you know, you're going to be working with Jessica today and and I'll be involved and I'll be, and I find people don't have a problem with that at all. That yeah. My personal friends and personal network, a lot of times they know that I'm going to hand that off. They realize that I'm busy. They, if they're keeping up with social media, they see the things that, I, that we're doing as a company mm-hmm. and that I'm having to handle. And I find that the expectation isn't there. We, we know of other mm-hmm. Agents that do what you're talking about, big billboards, right, and mm-hmm. uh, and and good slogans, and they stick to those good slogans, and it produces those those calls. But it's just their face, just their face, just their face. Uh, we don't do that because we want that expectation for people to know Mike's busy, and all of this is the triangle down the pyramid factor. And I'm going to be dealing with somebody, but I am one phone call away from Michael. I'm a text from Michael. Yeah. Um, they they can get in touch with me. And I find it works really good. We, we, we lose very few deals, very few, uh, to personality conflict, uh, conflicts and stuff like that because I am accessible. And, uh, yeah. and I've had people do it. You know, hey, I don't like working with this guy anymore. And I'll be like, well, hold on this minute. Let's interview this a little bit. Can I get you in, in the hands of somebody else? And let's, let's, let's maintain this relationship. And I find that that saves a lot of deals. And then normally in that case, what I'll do is go to the agent with a personality conflict and I'll say, look, dude, you're not getting along. I'm going to hand this over to this person, but I'm going to keep you in as a referral. And we've all saved the, day, the deal. Uh, we got the job done for the customer. We're all going to make a little bit of money on this. And let's go to the next one and make sure we don't make the same mistake again. Right. So I think being hands on with both my staff as well as my agents and the cust- and being one degree of separation from the customer, I don't find people have a problem with it at all. Yeah, I have to just from personal experience, uh, not only my own, but also where I came from, the agency that I used to work for was very much that way. So I think that's one of the things that when when team leaders hit that level where they withdraw from production, uh, sometimes they try to withdraw a little bit too much. And it's now it's time to I mean, and just justifiably sometimes like now it's time to take a vacation from the grind. Right. So now it's time to like completely pull back and no, I don't do that anymore. My agents handle all the communication. And, and I totally agree that there's a level of truth to that. And sometimes you have to go through that period where you completely withdraw so that your agents become less dependent on you. So there's a place for that. However, I have experienced it. Like I, I know the difference between me being just that little, like allowing myself to be hyper leveraged a little bit in the sense that like when somebody needs it, they can, they get a text, they get a Facebook message, they get a quick call, like whatever that is, like that little bit of time for me can replace hours of follow-up 
on my staff's part, for example, it can get things done quickly that they might take that, that our client might take a week to get back to my guy. If I, if I step in and I message somebody, they'll get it back to them within 15 minutes or something like that. Like there's just, there's, I've, I've learned that that's one of the most highly leveraged uses of my time is just those little points in the process where I jump in and do something, whatever that something might be, get something done and then step back out of the process. And uh, I think if we if we get a little bit too hands off, we lose that ability and we leave our people in a position where things just take longer than they could have. If we just set aside a little bit of time in our schedules to kind of have that. So, like, for example, I've got, you know, two management meetings a week where my operations director can come to me and say, like, hey, if you, can you reach out to this person, this person, this person? I need these three things. And I, you know, it takes me five, 10 minutes, but it's one of the most valuable five or 10 minutes of my entire week, at least in terms of like how the business operates. So anyway, uh, so I love that. Um, so uh, the, I know you had some, some things that you wanted to talk about as far as team building and, and some bullet points. Is there anything else that you pass on just from, from the experience of building what you've built? Well, I think, I think the point that you just made is really massive. Uh, I, I got lucky enough to be really good friends with a, with a man that was, a um, um, retired from the air force and he was in people management and so he traveled for the air force for years in people management and, and what you just talked about was that involvement and and you know they, they there was a psychological test run years ago i'm talking like in the 40s or 50s where a manager came down onto a floor um where he had a lot of workers uh and they were working whatever their, their tasks were doing but you were talking like 50 60 people that were working at their desk or whatever and he and, and the manager comes down out of his office that was in second story comes down sets up a, uh, a ladder, climbs up on the ladder, undoes a light bulb, puts the, puts the screen back on there and gets down and then goes back, puts the ladder up, goes back up into his office, comes back the next day. He does the exact same thing, but he puts the light bulb back in. And the question <laughs> of it is, what do you think that did to productivity? Do you think <laughs> that in those two yeah. days it went up or down, right? Yeah. And yeah, you almost up. think. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah. almost think, well, sometimes, well, and it'll go down, right? No, the answer is it went up and it went up because they saw the manager and they saw the manager doing a menial task. It's very, very important in team building. And so, so like, for instance, the, the, the change for me became, even though I have Michael Carr and Associates and that is the name of the company, that, it, that company is no longer me. That company represents a, a thought process that I put into motion. But now that company belongs to every agent, every staff member, all the way down to the janitor. And we keep that culture going constantly. To, and then what you have, like you said earlier, you get the cheerleaders that begin to, to protect that in of themselves because they have value in that now. And then, yeah. of course, you can do the other things that help a lot, like profit sharing. We've instituted profit sharing nice. and things like that now because that's a very big deal. You know, we see yeah. a lot in the virtual, big, huge virtual you know, uh, new offices that are coming in where you can get some ownership and stuff like that. That's great. People deserve that. Uh, yeah. They deserve the future of the mailbox money, right? And uh, mm -hmm. and and if they're buy if they're selling you the way you want sold, they deserve some more of that pie that that comes from that. It's just not all a hey, it's all about me. And then I'm able to say too, when I hire people, look, it ain't about me. It's about the company. You have to put the company first, and I promise you, it'll put you first. Which is one of those bullet points of building the team, I think, are important if you're looking for that. People want to know that you're sold out on them, too. 
So when you do, yeah, have I think the, if you're going to ask them to put the company first, especially when your face is the company, like you have to be willing to spend some time in the trenches to show that it's not just about you putting your face out there, that you're just as committed to the company as a face separate from you, the person, as you expect them to be. And that's a hard, yes. you know, it's a hard line to walk, but it's absolutely crucial. Like show that dedication that it's not about me. It's about the company. The company has my face on it, but I'm just as committed to that face and I'm willing to sacrifice and do what it takes to build that as I expect from you. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that. that with team building too, you have to realize you can't hold people responsible for what they do not know. And that's big. Okay. That's, that's big, right? So we, we're, we're looking at life through our own eyes. So, so I mm-hmm. know what I know. And yeah. I expect that everybody else would know what I would know, right? And for, <laughs> I battled against this for years. And then I yeah. finally dawned on me. I'm like, they don't know certain yeah. things. And guess what? They know things that I don't know. And now we yeah. got to find a way that we can, we can, you know, gel these things together. So when I stopped holding people responsible for that, now we have, we have sort of some rules and guidelines we live by. Nobody makes the same mistake twice. That's big to me. That's big to me, right? If we, if we make, make the mistake one time, nobody from my organization's ever been fired for making a mistake one time. Plenty yeah. have been fired for lying about it because <laughs> I, I can't fix it. If I don't know about it, I need to know right. the truth about it. And then we're yeah. going to go arm in arm together and we're going to fix this problem. And then yeah. guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to do that again. And yeah. it, because I've made mistakes and so have you and so has everybody else. So we can't just yep. assume that we're perfect. They're not. And that sort of, you have to. And then, and then that, that most that get, goes into once you learn that person, you build to their strengths and their weaknesses. Yes. Like I have people in my organization that try to cheat the pay system. Uh, every time they don't try to cheat the money, the money's going to be straight, but they want to skip the steps that it takes to get paid. Oh, so yeah, we, yeah. So they become, because we're small enough that we're a family still, we, everybody laughs about it. We have, mm-hmm. we have get togethers and we know that that certain agent is always going to try to cheat, turn in the right paperwork to get paid. Right. And, it, you know, we even give awards for it and stuff like that. And everybody sort of laughs about it. But the, to me, that is managing to those strengths and those weaknesses. So what we do in those situations is I got to looking and I'm like, okay, the one that wants to cheat the most is a single mother. Uh, She, she, uh, she, but but she's the second biggest producer in our Mm -hmm. entire organization, but she's got a lot going on, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. she's got one kid is their kids are like 10 years apart. So she's living two different lives as a mother, not like they're both a year. So we begin to look at why is she trying to do this? And so that we, I got with the accountant and the bookkeeper and the comptroller. I'm like, look, we know that she's going to do this every time. So how can we help that? So what we started doing was sending her a reminder. Hey, your closing is on Friday. And if you'll go ahead and get us a preliminary, if you'll go ahead and turn in your commission split form, then we can go ahead and preempt you getting paid. And then all you've got to do is bring in the rest of the packet. You know, we've set yep. up, then we set up distribution authorization forms so they can get paid at closing. Like we work with them and not everybody, it's not just one set of rules that, and everybody has to match or take away from that. It's mm-hmm. more like, in my opinion, like in the army, when you go into boot camp, you know, and some people are thin and some people are tall and some people are dumpy and some people are wide and some people are overweight and stuff. They mm-hmm. make you do the same exercises and they feed you the same food. And in, and in 12 weeks or how long, boot, eight weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, then the, the skinny people have put on weight. The, the heavyset people have lost weight. Right. And everybody's done the same thing. And it's sort of like the routine needs to fit to all of those different strengths or weaknesses and then people begin to level out 
and you you're not dealing with as many of the cumbersome problems yeah, that come with one or the all other. the all the roller coaster ride of different personalities and different quirks and stuff like that. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent agree. And, and you're building, yeah. and part of it is you're like a compensating for it with an adjustment in the systems, not by trying to get them to adjust their behavior, which is very, very, very difficult to do. Very difficult, and that's a great yeah. way to put it because you yeah. can't change the spots on that leopard, but you can no. you can help out how that fits inside the system. And of course, your system has people have to be able to succeed in your system, whatever yes. that system is. And you can't yeah. debilitate them with rules. Um, yeah, you know, you just need guardrails. Well, that's what's nice about being relatively, you know, like mid-sized. I would say, like a mid-sized team is it's it's big enough to where you need systems, obviously, um, but it's also small enough that you can build them and and change a little bit more, a little bit faster. You know, you don't have 50, 100 agents or something like that. You don't have legacy agents from 5, 10, 15 years ago that have wildly different expectations than the, than the brand new agents. Like, There's a lot of like, you know, pro issues that we create for ourselves in the way that we build our teams. Um, yeah, so like that, that size is a nice size where you can kind of build and customize and change things quickly to adjust mm -hmm. the adjust for the for the people, which I like that. Well, let's uh, let's finish off by looking into the uh, the crystal ball a little bit because you've got such an interesting and unique background, not just in the auction business, but the reason that you got into the auction business coming out of the last crash uh, and and all the things that went into that. So I'm curious, just what, what's your opinion? What are you looking for um, in what's going on right now? The, and, and do you think that the, um, well, let's say what we might be about to go through, whatever that next correction is, what do you think are going to be some of the differences that you're looking for in the way that the correction kind of plays out? versus last time you know because nothing really history rhymes but it doesn't repeat itself exactly is the old phrase right so what, right. what are you looking for what are some of the differences or what are some of the things that you're kind of paying attention to that we can watch out for well obviously the the housing shortage is a big deal and that shortage is coast to coast um they you know if you watch those the heat maps and pay attention to the days on market for existing housing uh, you know, you, you on the West Coast, you're, you're talking 10 days on average mm -hmm. on the on the East Coast, like in the Atlanta area, you're talking 27 days. And, it, and there's a mixture in between. And there are still some gaps areas where you're 40, 45. You know, I don't think anybody's over 60 right now on average. Uh, it's because the demand is pent up. But if you take Atlanta as a as a example, economic example of what we have to look for, then new construction is the only and multifamily uh, is the only thing that's going to alleviate the pressures of the people coming in. And I don't, I, I anticipate that, um, the, that we're still in a very big growth, economic growth, uh, you know, time frame, and that, and that, and real estate's going to be super good over the course of the next five to seven years. I don't think, I think we'll see minor corrections because you just see, you, you just do, yeah. right? That's the natural order of things. You know, people might be surprised to find out that Atlanta had a 15% cool off period between Q4 of 2017 and the end of Q1 of 2018. And that's a pretty drastic little, you yeah. know, dip. Like you know, when you're talking 14% decline in what properties were bringing and what they were value at, but they they did that from that huge run up that we right. saw from the decimation, right? Yes. And and so for the most part, we barely deal still with people that are at that threshold of underwater uh, from when they bought in two thousand three, two thousand four, and that's really more area specific. Most of the places there's still that high gain, and then that also has fluctuated to Q uh, two, 
uh, we, we see that creep back up. It's only down now about 4% of what it was before from the high. Yeah. So yeah, we'll it's see a little bit tiny, dip and then a recovery. Tiny dips, like, like, yeah. uh, like a good economy should have, right? The mm-hmm. last thing you want to see is that perfect indicator between a buyer and seller market. You don't really want that, right? Because there's okay. no room to operate. You got to mm-hmm. have a seller's market so you can go after, uh, you know, buyers. You, you have a buyer's market so you go after sellers. And that's mm-hmm. also one of the things that Michael Carn Associates does and tries to push to our agents constantly is I keep, try to keep my finger on the housing stats. And we mm-hmm. may change our messaging from buyers to sellers in, in the course of a month and, oh, and stay okay. fluid into which way we go. In an ideal world, we mm-hmm. won't both, right? Yeah. But, and, yeah, of course. Uh, but, you know, you got to, you got to, I find that you can make those experimental gains if you, uh, if you try to play that uh, to, to whatever the market's telling you. All right. And then final question. Do you see, uh, do you see auctions taking in like gaining any market share, gaining any greater acceptance in the mind of the consumer? Cause they're really that, I mean, the, the big disruption I feel like that might happen in real estate is some big company, the Amazon, the Zillows of the world or whatever come in. But uh, so far we've seen them make inroads on the buyer lead generation side. So the, the most natural thing is for them to like start referring their buyer leads to buyer's agents, like captured buyer's agents or something like that. But that's not the real, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that we take a hit, but that's not going to like revolutionize the industry. I don't think who knows. Um, but where I see the potential for massive disruption is like an open door or Amazon, something like that, that goes right to the heart and goes right after sellers and says basically like cut cut out all the crap, cut out all the hassle. We will just come in and either buy it or we're going to come in and auction it. And mm-hmm. you're going to get as, you know, you're going to cut out all the hassle. And for that, yeah, you might take a little bit of a haircut. But, you know, at, at some point, maybe they can promise that you won't even take a haircut because if they could, you know, they can always turn around and buy it with venture capital. So my, I guess the, the key to that, I think, is just whether auctions are, you know, if they gain a little bit more cultural acceptance like they have in Australia, where it's more more routine in Australia to do a, to an auction way more than it is here. There's nothing really it different is. about the market here than it is in Australia. It's strictly cultural. Um, so it's really just like, are you seeing anything? Do you see auctions kind of on the ascendancy or is it just kind of flat? It's That's an interesting question, a very complicated question. In, in regions in the United States, it is a lot more prevalent. Uh, mm. and especially I find like in the North Midwest, that's a, that's a, a really good auction place. Uh, Texas, uh, you know, tends to be a really good auction uh, community. Georgia, uh, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're not taking a bigger a bigger piece of property and dividing it up into lots and selling it and stuff like that, you don't really see that. But auctions, you have to keep in mind. I'm an auctioneer at heart, and first and foremost, but uh, but I don't know the prevalency of auctions in mainstream as a, comp- a competition to arm's length brokerages. And the reason gotcha. why I see that is uh, you, you, there are a lot of, for instances, where auctions work. In fact, we're in negotiations right now trying to auction off a piece of property in Houston that uh, that's going to be just a fantastic piece of property in an area where they're tearing down older houses built in the 40s and 50s, and they're building million-dollar structures on that uh, 10,000, 15,000 square foot lots. And we're going to auction this property off because there's a major amount of um, – of exposure to it so it's it makes yeah. it economical to be able to do that so okay. as a platform that we could use as another tool as another listing platform as another exposure platform we could see auctions come become prevalent and they work mm. and they should be used for that will it take the place of our fmls or our mls's or multiple listing service agreements that we have 
I don't think so. I really don't. Because if you want to maximize uh, your return for your clients, that time on the market and major exposure on that market is is really is really a more um, it's more conducive to be able to negotiate those returns than in an yeah. auction. Auction is more meant towards hey, let's speed this up. Let's take right. what we would do in a month. And let's let's push it and let's sell it on this day, right? Mm-hmm. And and they do work and they do have their place. So it's sort of a hybrid, I guess, answer of what you're asking me. Do I think we're going to see them be more prevalent as a place to buy, a safe place to buy and a safe place to sell? I absolutely do. Do I think it's going to be a decimated type of a, um, uh, platform to us arms link transaction yeah, brokerages? I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't really see that happening. And yeah. even if it did, then it's going to be an easy enough step in for us to, again, use that as just another tool mm-hmm. and uh, and be able to. And you well, have to take into consideration like, this housing shortage is big. And I think yeah. that's the play that, for the future. And auctions don't really work for that. Really? Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, culturally, Americans, we're not the biggest fans of negotiation. Like, we're we're. On, on a whole, obviously there's exception to this, but on a whole, culturally, America is uncomfortable with negotiation. And so, which was sort of makes sense as to why auctions don't necessarily take off mainstream because it's essentially taking a negotiation, which right now we're accustomed to taking place over days or weeks and compressing it to where yes. decisions have to be made instantly and stuff like that. So yeah, so I get that. It's very interesting. It's an interesting thing, but anyway, okay. So let's talk about uh, referrals, how people can connect, where where do they reach out to to send you referrals? Because we basically, we covered it earlier, you're essentially all over Atlanta for the most part, and you're also uh, expanding yes. in this, into some other areas, but primarily the Atlanta area is where they need to keep in mind. So how do they reach you guys? Well, the best way uh, is by our website is michaelcarrealty.com. That's one of the best ways to do it. Our phone number, I'm still old school, 678 444 Four one one zero, great great way to reach out to us. Switchboard to get it to me. Uh, you can still reach me on it. Um, those are the best ways. I think uh, you can um, uh, you reach out to us on Facebook. You know, Michael Carr Inc. is uh, is our handle. And yeah. um, so and oh, and Brandface by the way. And Brandface, you can reach out to us at Brandface. Michael at Brandface. Star.com is uh, the email address to reach out to us, or you can go to brandfaceforrealestate.com. Yeah. And that could also give you an idea of what we can do on the branding side. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just about to mention that. So what, what you and Tanya do is help, you know, in this, in this context, like teams or brokerages that are looking to kind of do what you've done and put a much better, more attractive, more compelling brand into the market that brings them really their ideal kind of client that just resonates and kind of attracts the right type of people that you want to work with, especially if, if you've done, if you've done the work and you have a great culture and you have agents that align with who you are and your personality, um, you guys are the ones to talk to, to kind of figure out, okay, how do you, how do you find what that is? How do you project it out into the marketplace so people understand it, hear it and resonate with it? And that way you start to attract the people that are really, that you want to work with instead of just whoever's available in the market. And I think that's, uh, I've been studying a lot about it lately, just branding and branding archetypes and things like that, and just kind of getting a better sense of how powerful that is. And that's really, it's like, it's a very untapped power at the brokerage or the team level, because mostly we don't, especially the brokerage level, we, we let our agents dictate the fact that our companies don't stand for anything. And so there's really no major attractive force that that 
compels people to do business with us because they're and so it ends up we we end up pushing it down down the line to the point where they end up just working with our agents because they have personal relationships or because our lead follow-up systems are good and that's fine but there is another level that i think we can go to and that's what you guys help people do so that, that's why i was excited to bring you on we had a big conversation about that so if you guys want to check out michael's episode of real estate uncensored that's out there it's on reuncensored.com uh, and then for the, the team building podcast, make sure to just go subscribe. Uh, you can go uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, depending on your mobile device. You can go to YouTube and grab the video versions there. Uh, you can get all the details on workshops. You can get all the details on, uh, which are uh, monthly. You can get all the details on ERS live stream. Uh, Michael, you mentioned that you videotape uh, all of your trainings. Same thing for Jeff Cohn and the number one team in Nebraska. You can actually sit in, interact, and get high-def uh, audio video stream of their um Three time a week training at this point, including new agent nice. training. So that's all on nice. ERSlivestream.com. Uh, yeah, so super, super high def, like 15,000 square foot office. Like I think the audio video system was around like 15 or $20,000. It was ridiculously expensive <laughs> and ridiculously nice. So it's yeah, literally it's like super nice. Jeff's office from anywhere in the country. So anyway, <laughs> so everybody check that out. We appreciate it. Michael, thanks, man. This was awesome. Oh, of course. Thank you, Matt. We always like being on your show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh,